0: You went to Disneyland and you didn't even ask me, man? That's bullshit,
1: bro. You didn't bring your other, your fourth kid? (laughs) Your oldest child?
2: (laughs) Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 91. Overcoming personnel issues and sound issues. And Edwin talking ad nauseum about a new Zippo lighter that he just bought. Uh, yeah, today we're talking about genres that don't move us, and we don't have uh, Mr. Daniel on, unfortunately, because he is actually doing exciting stuff and on a shoot. Who is with us today?
1: Hey, it's me, Conaloid Cruz, the People's Champion. Oh, America, I got a zip file letter. I'm very
2: proud of it. And I am Craig, the founder and programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's good that the team today is a trio because it was Edwin and Connor actually who voiced that our Februarys, which for the last few years I've devoted to. Love movies and romance movies and Valentine's. Edwin is making a hand gesture right now that uh, I'm going to let you fill in the blank what hand gesture is making. Was he saying in sign language, I love you? Was he saying thank you? Or was it a little more crude symbolizing self-pleasure for men? I'll let you choose which one it was. Before we get to this topic about genre, movie genres that don't necessarily move us, that aren't our favorites, by the time you listen to this, it will be Friday, and we will be playing an Almodovar double feature, both on 35, Matador and Law of Desire. His 80s work, which I'm a really big I love all his work. It's all incredible. The 80s work is very, I don't want to use tired adjectives, and now I'm about to in a weird way, but it's very transgressive. Very irresponsible in the best sort of way. He's clearly a young person with those movies. And so the movies are very dangerous in a very exciting way. But at the same time, you're still filled with the Almodovar cinema and humanism and incredible talent for taking twists and turns you don't see and LGBTQ issues. So join us both on 35. Matador is about two serial killers that fall in love with each other. It's one of my personal favorites. And then on Saturday, also at the Secret Movie Club Theater, we are doing a Quentin Tarantino double feature, or you could look at it as a Tony Scott, Oliver Stone joint. But basically, Tarantino on a dare from Roger Avery, when they both worked at the video store in South Bay, wrote this 500-page script that he intended to be the pop culture bible of the 90s. It was true romance, but then when Clarence in Alabama went on the run, He did this meta thing where Clarence was writing a script that he wanted to get made and the script he was writing was Natural Born Killers. And then Tarantino split them in two and sold them and they got made as True Romance and Natural Born Killers. We're putting them back together. And then the following week, on Wednesday, we're doing actually a movie I love that was a revelation for me, the Ryan Gosling, Michelle Williams, directed by Derek C. in France movie, Blue Valentine. I tried to program movies That would also be anti-romances because I think that's really, really important and we'll get into it. It There's very much a fantasy element to love stories that doesn't get acknowledged a lot. And I think that Blue Valentine is an antidote for that because it's about a divorce, essentially. So it's what happens in many love stories. Then the next day, we are doing both on 35, two Jean-Luc Godard films, Band of Outsiders and Pierre LeFou from his incandescent French New Wave period. As always, you can write us. At, community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out about everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. We have a ton of things coming down the pike. And thankfully, I finally got our final raft of confirmations from March. I had to wait like a mother on those things. So please go to our eventbrite and to secretmovieclub.com. You're going to find out a lot of things we're doing, like talk about anti-musicals, uh, Lars Von Curious' Dancer in the Dark, We're gonna give that another look. That's the musical with music and starring Bjork. It was also a movie that divided a ton of people, including Bjork, who came out later and said that Lars von Trier was a monster and a nightmare to work with. We will be announcing the rest of our March schedule in the next week or so. There you go. So this podcast came about because you guys both were just talking about how the February schedule doesn't really do much for you. Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) And I appreciated that candor. I appreciated the honesty. And I I will say I'm not quite as
1: militant as Edwin. I understand why we're programming all these films, even if it's a little less than I normally want to see stuff.
2: Yeah, you were definitely more diplomatic, but it's an important point. If we're not rigorous, we can get very lazy in our understanding of the world, and we can think that our experience is everybody's experience. One of the things that I've thought about and been hyper aware about is people with children tend to be very, it becomes an extension of their narcissism and their self-absorption. And they start talking about their kids as if everyone should have kids or as if people who don't have kids don't understand the world. And uh, many people choose not to have children for very valid reasons, namely that they think, The world's going to hell in a handbasket or they don't want to bring children into a world that might be suffering from the ravages of climate change in the next hundred years. And, you know, whether you agree or disagree with that, people have thought out their position or they can't have children or they don't feel they're, they're up to the task of being a parent or they don't like children or whatever. All of them are like really valid reasons. And then when people who have children enforce this kind of chauvinism on other people, it's really offensive. And I think it's one of the reasons that you know, we don't get more done is because people have their tribalisms and they think that their experience is or should be everyone's experience. You see this with religion, you see this with people's backgrounds, you see this with racism, you see this with nationalism. And so when Connor and Edwin were like, hey, I'm not really down with love stories and romance movies and that you put a whole month devoted to it, that got me thinking.
1: I will say to compliment you, there is stuff pretty much every week. That is stuff that I'm into. And Blue Valentine does sound interesting because I do like movies about divorce sometimes. Like in the Whale. Well. I don't want to psychoanalyze myself or get into my personal issues in a public forum like this. But there's personal reasons as to why, like, straight romance stuff I don't really like. I think in general that's maybe kind of like a classically male opinion also, at least when it comes to, like, standard American male. But, I was about hey, to
2: say, yeah, it's not like you're alone. Even dudes in relationships don't like love movies. Hey, baby, that's me. But
1: what's weird is that I love movies with romance in them. I like it when it's like the backbone of a movie, but when it's not the foreground. Uh, Namely, I can think of Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which are those especially are built around the sort of core Peter Parker, Mary Jane relationship. I think the thing that I like the least, actually, I like even less than romance, typically, is really straight dramas that are just kind of sad. As somebody who's dealt with a hodgepodge of mental health issues, there's something about movies that are stressful that I find cathartic. But movies that are sad, I find I'm just like, I could just be sad about real things by myself. (laughs) I kind of do wish Daniel was here because that director he likes who did A Separation and The Past. and yeah,
2: Askar Farhadi. His
1: his new movie just came out and he really liked. Or the guy who did, I liked Burning, the Korean director. Lee Chang Dong. But that director's other movie, Poetry, fall into that category for me where I'm like, bro, these are just really sad and I'm, I'm like, I'm like watching them. And I think they're the emotional equivalent of like the Saw movies for some people <laughs> where people don't watch the Saw movies because they're like, this is grotesque. And I feel the same way, but on like an emotional level with that kind of stuff personally. That to me is the least sort of enticing film. I think the last thing I don't really love, this goes completely against this and it'll maybe offend one is I I sometimes don't really love like super broad comedies, like more straightforward comedy movies I tend to not like. Like Um, The Hangover? The Hangover's all right. I've seen about 30 to 40 movies from 2021 of this recording. I'm trying to get to about how much I had seen for the previous year before the Oscars. And my least favorite, I still liked the movie, but my least favorite from last year was Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, the Kristen Wiig comedy which is a very much so sort of typical in my brain like modern broad comedy it takes like a very specific voice for something like that to break through for me I think sometimes I'll watch a movie like that and I'm like this is like a really long sketch But hey, you know what? Sometimes I'll like a phantom thread. Phantom thread's a little like off kilter, though, definitely, I would say, from like a typical romance. I
2: think with Paul Thomas Anderson, and I, this seems to be by design, the more he goes on, you're not completely sure what kind of movie it is mm-hmm. or where it's going to go. And even though you know that, and it was marketed as this relationship between Daniel Day-Lewis, this uptight OCD famous fashion designer, and then this very independent woman who you know, could take him or leave him. You don't really know that it's actually going to affirmatively be a love story almost until the very end of the film.
1: I think Phantom Thread works, one, because there is a darkness to it that's interesting. And like in the inverse, there's also like kind of a wholesomeness to it at the same time, like an affirmative darkness. It doesn't fall into the typical like being about despair and stuff. To be fair, there's a lot of these movies I haven't seen. I tend to think... I would enjoy the Baz Luhrmann films for what they are. I think Blue Valentine sounds interesting. Lust Caution sounds really interesting. The Hugh Grant ones, I'd probably watch them and I'd probably be like, these are fine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my guess. I'd be like,
2: these sure are. Films that people w- would enjoy. So Edwin, why is it that love stories, Valentine's Day movies, why, why is that genre not for you?
0: Well, uh, I'm going to agree with Connor that it's due to a more personal level, but they just suck, and they're depressing, <laughs> man. I, I, I just hate it with a passion. There's only a few that I will date, but the rest, eh. Like Blue Valentine? No, pass. That Hugh Grant
2: double? Why do you pass on Blue Valentine? Blue Valentine's a very atypical movie about a relationship. Have you seen it? From what I've heard, it's too depressing.
0: If I want to watch a depressing movie, I'd rather watch Marriage Story, which I like
2: a lot more. That movie is like keen on how... You allow me to point out yet another fallacy of logic. You haven't seen Blue Valentine yet. You said if I wanted to watch a depressing movie, I'd watch Marriage Story, another movie about divorce. It's yeah, possible you would Valentine and like it as much as Marriage Story. Has that energy?
1: You're taking the opposite tactic that I took, which is where I was like, I like stuff like Marriage Story, so I might like this. I just haven't checked it out yet. Well,
0: anyway, you know, just some. Um, I mean, yeah, this whole month is just, you know. Not cool,
2: man. You know? And when you just don't like that it's like Valentine's Month,
0: too. But yeah, basically. If I going to be somewhere on Valentine's, probably at the bed watching a movie, because I don't want to be
2: home doing that there. i rather watch an action-packed film. It's like, I love Christmas, but yeah, I, I, know, I know people who hate that time of year.
1: Because their dad crawled down the chimney <laughs> and, and died in there. The point just being
2: that people have to be aware... That something that they love could very well be something someone else, it's extremely painful for them for extremely valid reasons that people just don't think about. And that's what's of interest to me is that we would all be a lot better off. There's this Hindu saying in in the Bhagavad Gita, in the Mahabharata, that the god Krishna gives to Arjuna during a battle. And he says, you know, when one can experience the joys and sufferings of another, he attains the highest form of wisdom or the highest form of spiritual union. Actually, that's the translation. As I get older, it's very hard to do that. I mean, how do you do that? How do you know how someone else feels? How could you possibly be aware that what makes you happy makes someone else miserable for an extremely valid reason that you would never understand? So anyway, I sat and watched Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. And Moulin Rouge, man, it's exactly the way I remember it. Like those opening 20 minutes are almost too much. He's trying to give you everything and the cutting and the singing and the like connect. But at the same time, it's like trying to do something. It's not just a love musical. It's not just another Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. He's trying to take that to 11 and he's trying to do something with it
1: from the outside I, again i haven't seen them yet but it almost looks like scott pilgrim or something dude scott pilgrim feels like a brace
2: movie yeah. compared to moulin rouge <laughs> like you watch moulin rouge and you have jim broadbent singing la belle and it's cutting and it's slow motion
1: he's just flipping around like neo dude and you're
2: like what is going on, everyone, there's animation, and there's CGI, and there's glitter, and then Nicole Kidman drops from a ceiling, and then you're just like (laughs) Like, I don't know what being on Adderall and cocaine at the same time feels like, but I would wager that the opening 20 minutes of Moulin Rouge may be the equivalent of Adderall and cocaine, whatever that cocktail would be. I hope no one invents it. That director
0: sucks. I despise his movie. I personally hate Romeo and Juliet. That movie can go to hell. Romeo and Juliet played like gangbusters. I love it. Leo crushes it. Leo crushed the Titanic. That's garbage compared to that. I regret watching it. And regret having it. Just not a good movie at all. Just ah. And you have guns? Guns for
2: William Shakespeare play? And it takes place in Brazil? No, it doesn't really. It takes place in a fictitious, because they speak English. So it's a, like a fictitious crime-ridden, you can almost say it's Miami, but it's not like a fictitious that. crime-ridden uh, gang. I respect it, dude. Romeo plus Juliet is definitely not for everybody. I totally hear where you're coming from, Edwin. There are just as many people who don't like it. But I he really made the language understandable to the audience, which I thought was a feat into itself. You know, the genre that I don't like, and this is going to be a, a real extreme left turn, but normally, as a rule, And Connor actually referenced it, it was very funny. I am not a huge fan of the slasher genre. That's a genre I don't, like, that they made eight Friday the 13th. We did at our drive-in the first one and the fourth one, which many people often consider two of the best ones. Mm -hmm. And I watched them. (laughs) They're still terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I watched it, I I mean, I got it. Here's the thing. I was like, yeah, I I, I get it. It's not that I don't get it. They're a bunch (laughs) of teenagers. There's going to be some shower scenes. They're going to get killed. Jason is seemingly going to be defeated at the end, but he's going to come back. I know how it works. So it's not that I was like, I don't understand these films. It's not like I was an old man who doesn't understand music. Mm-hmm. But I watched them and I thought, yeah, this isn't for me. Like, let's take the Texas Chainsaw Massacres as well. I love the original Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's a classic. I love it. I find it mega disturbing and then it becomes mega funny. It is in my wheelhouse. I avoided it till I was 30 because I thought this is in that genre I don't like. I don't want to see this guy kill a bunch of kids. I, I just don't want to do it. And then I watched it and I was like, well, it is kind of that, but it's so intelligent and it makes such a left field turn when she eventually goes in the house and there's the dinner scene and it becomes like a satire on family. It's very hard to explain. For me, when there's a there, there, I can take anything. I think Connor and I have talked about this. I'm a big fan of the first hostel, Eli Roth's hostel, because once I clicked into its very subversive comment about American, what would you call that? Egotism, Mm -hmm. traveling abroad? I don't know what you would, then I thought it was hilarious. Mm. Then I was laughing as much as I was disturbed. As a rule, the slasher genre, I don't seek out. So like Halloweens, you know, they rebooted Halloween. Everyone was getting into this. David Gordon Green, Rob Zombie, you know. I like the first one. I've heard the third one is interesting. I mm-hmm. accidentally saw the fifth one at USC. Yeah, the fifth one's terrible. Yeah. And I, I just, I was like, yeah. man, poor Donald Pleasance. Does he really need the money or?
1: Oh, I love horror movies and I will never defend the slasher genre. Uh, I mean, I'll defend it to the degree that I think it's probably on the equivalent of kind of the reaction I was having. think I would have to those Hugh Grant movies, if that makes sense. Like equivalent where I would watch them. And I'd be like, I get this, but... This isn't really what I would just watch to fill time. I do kind of like slasher stuff because it's it's just so goofy. It kind of goes to the motions of horror stuff without actually being scary. I think some of those later like Nightmare and Halloween movies are um, like the least scary movies ever made. I think they're like children's films that are probably get more at the heart of fear.
2: This can happen in any genre, mm-hmm. but there comes a point where it feels like the filmmakers. To get themselves through the movie are making fun of it more than they're actually trying to commit to it.
1: Your distaste of the slasher genre is completely valid and often proven by the genre itself. But like
2: you said, Connor, I love horror. I mean, we've already had a podcast on it. I I think horror is one of the richest, most underappreciated genres i don't mind gore i don't mind is something that pushes the envelope i don't mind being unsettled but it's slasher
1: i think the universal truth maybe we're getting at for all of us is me and edwin there will be certain romance certain drama movies that we do really like and similar to you there will be certain movies that are even slasher movies that you really like and i think the big truth there is that if a movie is good enough it will transcend its genre whether or not that's the kind of thing you would normally like and good enough is obviously subjective just the same way that our general opinions about genres are also subjective
2: Another genre that is really divisive for folks is musical. Oh God, you're talk not about, a musical fan. I like some
0: musical, but there was one that I watched recently that I didn't like, and I re- kind of regret it. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
2: Oh yeah, I, I mean, I like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but I don't think it's a fully successful movie. It's
0: too long. It I has like seven acts. Dick Van Dyke is talking in American accent. They probably always say like, this talking American accent. We 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 don't care if you're you're supposed to be a British dude and, and that has two British kids. Like that's fine. Just just an American accent. I will say, though, uh, half of the musical numbers in that movie are terrific, but later on, it kind of loses it for me, and I found out that it's a sort of family
2: version of 007. Well, say. the producers, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, I think, produced it, actually.
0: Ian Fleming. Yeah, it's based on Ian Fleming. But I have a theory that that is an unofficial James Bond movie. That's a nice that theory. Thanks. All Thanks. right. Thanks for backing that theory up. Thanks,
1: BuzzFeed. What?
0: What? what? The, <laughs> dude, the dude is a freaking inventor. <laughs> he repairs a car, and next thing you know, the car flies, man. So then it's it's a, a movie about Q. What if Q had a family and does inventions, and then he's basically dead, dice? Uh
2: So musical, any thoughts on the musical, Connor?
1: Oh, uh, the Phantom of the Opera is here inside your mind i love musicals i grew up with uh, a lot of theater stuff i did theater back in the day until in the eighth grade when i lost out the part of charlie brown and you're a good man charlie brown and And uh, you like f musicals kind (laughs) of to a certain degree but i've always liked musicals i never had an issue with them the issue i have more with musicals is like and this is something that i try to avoid going into because i probably don't have like enough knowledge about modern musicals to really make this comment. And it definitely makes me sound like an old man if you do and disagree. But I do think that a lot of modern musicals sound very samey to me, where a lot of them sound very much like, um, this is a joke between me and Casey, but i talk about how it always sounds like, I'm in my apartment, my one bedroom apartment. In the middle of the city. Like, every musical from the last 20 years sounds like that to me. Or most of them do. But I'm down for musicals. You just have to, like, go in knowing
2: that it's going to be a musical. I love musicals, so I... And then, you know, there's so many genres we could talk about. You know, genres also fall in and out of favor. You know, there was a time when you couldn't make enough Westerns. And now almost nobody makes Westerns. And I love Westerns. I love the Westerns when the Western was popular. I wasn't alive then, but I mean, I love that era. Mm -hmm. And I love Westerns that are made, you know, a few years ago that are good Westerns. And supposedly Scorsese's new movie is a Western. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to see The Killers of the Flower Moon. But another genre, I think, that doesn't usually work for me, and it's a genre that I love, and not a genre I would ever dissuade anyone from, but I think it's incredibly hard. Other countries do it way better than we do, and I I have theories on that, but movies that try to be political, or Mm. to make a political statement about where the country is, I would love to make one, but I'm afraid I would make the mistakes I see. It often feels that people come with a political agenda, They haven't fully thought it out. They don't really understand the other side, by which I mean, I don't think you can make a good political movie unless you understand why the other side is the way it is. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but you can't represent them as like mustache twirling villains. I remember seeing a movie, I I don't want to name check, where it was like everybody who was liberal was represented as being three dimensional and human. And everybody who was conservative was represented as almost being like an insect. And I remember going like, "Okay, I'm left of center and this offends me, you know, (laughs) and I guess you're supposedly complimenting people or, you know, and I'm not very left of center. I've said this. I'm more of a centrist than anything. And everyone hates that. My cousin's always like, what does that mean? What does that mean when you say that? And Like, well, it means what it means. That's what I am, that's how I identify myself, is as an independent misentrist. And then everyone gets on me about that from both sides. So I please nobody. But nevertheless, I would say that I've always respected when a movie is like, I gotta make a stand. You know, like a movie I love, that to me is an example of a movie that succeeded, is Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. And I always point that out. He made a movie about how Adolf Hitler was an effing idiot when nobody in America wanted to make that movie because we wanted to stay out of the war. And there were a lot of nazi sympathizers and there were a lot of people saying well i think adolf hitler has it right you know look how much they're getting done in germany and look at how our democracy look we got this clown fdr and we're dealing with this and that adolf hitler got it done that literally was the dialogue in 1940 I mean, charles Lindbergh. i'm trying to think who you could point to today who's a universally loved american hero right now i mean i don't know it would be like if tom brady like if tom brady came out And Tom Brady was like, look, look, guys, Vladimir Putin and, you know, these dictators kind of have it right. We kind of are backwards here. Like if Tom Brady came out, that was to a certain level. Some discourse at 1940. Charlie Chaplin came out and said, "Uh, this guy hates Jews. They're concentration camps. He's a clown. This is fascism. This is not what America is about. So I would just put that forward. I admire the hell out of that film because of the chances he took. But I find very few filmmakers can land that plane. Uh, I'm like the opposite. I like movies that are like
0: anti-political, you know, like Vice and other uh, films, you know, that poke fun of it. But mainly for me, if I want to watch something that's true on it, I'll just watch a Michael Moore movie, which I just saw recently, uh, Roger and Me, which is, uh, you know, GM Motors screwing people over, shutting down factories over like some cheese and probably do some political reasons. And I watched the big one about Mm -hmm. how corporate factories are, moving their stuff overseas on our plates
2: and laying up millions of people. That's why I hate politics. That's why I don't vote. You can't stay a democracy, Edwin, if you don't vote. People like you have to vote to stay a democracy. That's the challenge.
0: Well, man, you know, that's why we got the revolution, man. Revolution. (laughs) Connor, any
1: thoughts? I just don't know why they had to make the Sonic the Hedgehog movie so political.
2: (laughs) Pop culture and final thoughts. I watched uh, Jackass
1: Forever. And it was a a wholesome celebration. The best version of boys being boys of Dudes Rock. It's just 90 minutes of people being friends and getting kicked in the nuts.
2: Was it of a piece? Because I'm a jackass fan, actually.
1: Yeah, th- no, totally. those movies are good. It held up with the rest of the series? I, I would say so. And it was, it was just 90 minutes of laughing, which is a nice experience. They really yeah.
2: had figured out a formula. You were making fun of it. I mean, you know, tongue-in-cheek, because you went to go see it. But it weirdly works.
1: I mean, it truly is, like, wholesome, I would say, for what it is. Someone online on Letterboxd wrote that it was, like, the most wholesome movie that also consists of 25 minutes of footage of bruised
2: testicles. <laughs> But poor. I heard Johnny Knoxville in just a clip talking about how there's some bull stunt, I guess you see in the movie, and that he actually was diagnosed with severely degenerated cognitive ability for a month Mm, before mm. it returned. And I was like, I mean, I know they sign off. I know, you know, that they know what they're doing, that they've accepted this. But that's pretty rough.
1: They do have they have some like newer people in this one that do some of the stunts the older guys are a little choosier about which stuff they do in, in regards to the physical crazy stuff but yeah no i know what you're talking about the bull stunt that one goofs them up good and you can find me at twitch.tv slash Cruz.
0: i watched 97 movies uh this year already i'm very proud of that i saw invasion of the bisature for the first time from the, the 1956 that's still my favorite one. No, no i i agree i i loved it i preferred that over the 70s one Honestly, oh yeah, well, there's no contest to I me. Mean, the '70s one is yeah. Big. No, it is. It is. I just I think I like this one a lot more because Fred McCarthy, man, dude, he's such a great dude in that movie. I love his performance. Went to the Bev. I saw one of the greatest war films of all time, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now Redux, which was amazing. I loved every minute of that movie it was incredible until the French scene happened then I went to go to use my Russian break guys hate it it
2: ruins the vibe of the movie but overall great movie I am trying to not the efficacy of you gentlemen which I admire and I need to actually get to your speed but I'm trying to catch up on some things that I haven't seen my wife and I have just been making babies for <laughs> the last four years and I need to catch up onto some pictures. So I dived in because I want to watch some Mike Flanagan. I'd never seen any Mike Flanagan. So I'm doing Midnight Mass right now. And then I think I'll watch a few of the others. And I'm on episode four of seven. So I'm right roughly in the middle. So I, it could all maintain It could all go to hell in a handbasket. I don't know. So uh, Midnight Mass was this uh, seven-hour miniseries that Mike Flanagan, who's basically making movies at the pace of an old-time Hollywood director, he's directing either five to ten hour miniseries or one to two movies a year. It's pretty admirable. This is what he did last year. He wrote it, co-wrote it, rather. It's got his ensemble cast. And this is my first Mike Flanagan. Connor, have you seen it? No, I haven't yet. It's one of the ones I haven't. It sounds kind of Salem's Lottie. Dude. It is like a Stephen King novel that Stephen King didn't write. And by this is no knock on Mr. Flanagan cause it's his own thing. But I was like, whoa, the Stephen King vibes are so intense. And yet from my understanding of Mike Flanagan it deals with alcoholism and being sober. I've heard that's an obsession of his that he lived through. It deals with religion, with Catholicism, with faith with a lot of stuff and I'm really enjoying it. Watching it, it just got me going again about TV versus movies. Are there things you have to do in TV, even if it's a limited series? Like, the thing that's really interesting is he does this thing where he saves the Big Bang for the end of every episode. So, they're like all these really interesting sequences, but the final sequence is always a like, I gotta watch, I gotta tune in, the cliffhanger, the like, what, what just happened? And I know that's a way that people write. It's a way that people do TV. It's a way that the medium works so that you'll come in the next time. But I sat there going, I wonder if you could do it where you don't do that. I wonder where you could do it where it is that way the whole time, you know? And what happens often in the middle of his episodes are the walk and talk scenes, the more Mm -hmm. prosaic TV scenes. And they're great. I mean, you need them. But I was sitting there as a movie maker, and I think I've been on the record about this before, is that I really love TV, but my speed is the two-hour movie. And so when I watch a seven-hour thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, like there's a lot of – I feel like we've had this beat before. I I get it. They love each other. It's the budding love story. I don't feel like I need another scene where I see them connecting. I know they're connecting. So I have a very movie mind.
1: And it's in I, I know, to watch t v I know what you mean about It sounds like it's a fairly serialized story that the episodes aren't really like specific if that makes sense. I haven't seen it yet. I know that same feeling. If I watch something that's like super episodic and really embraces like the format of an episode, I like that stuff. Yeah, um, me too. Totally. But, like but, it cheers. Yeah. And like, yeah, more like sitcoms or I think I've talked a lot about Lindelof does that with his stuff. But whenever it's really spread out, that's like one of the big things with there was a bunch of Marvel Disney Plus shows last year. And several of them were uh, like six episodes kind of this like midnight mass and most of them i was kind of like you know what i think this would have been better as like a two two and a half hour movie
2: what i want to say by the way is i've loved every episode flanagan he is just like king in that they're entertaining they're compulsively readable or watchable he has great characters even characters that are in many ways complicated and unsympathetic supposedly so, I mean, I really can't wait to watch more Mike Flanagan. This is, in the end, just expressing my excitement about Mike Flanagan. It's also expressing, as you said, Connor, and I remember that podcast where you said it, just my issues with the TV form. And I have a limited series idea. And I was watching this, and I was like, ah, yeah, but it still feels like I've seen there's a mom character who has dementia. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've already seen this scene. Where she. I get it. She has dementia. Mm-hmm. But anyway, thank you guys, as always, for a great conversation. Next week, Secret Movie Club Podcast 92, we are going to be talking about Pedro Almodovar, Law of Desire, and his work. Edwin has a lot to say about it. He actually just devoted the last week to just watching Law of Desire over and over again. He was showing me his notes on it, and I really appreciated the beat-for-beat breakdown that he did. So... We're actually going to have him kick it off because that kind of academic preparation and homework is what makes a podcast good. So, Edwin, I want to just preemptively shout out a thank you to you there. As always, this episode was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz, who cut an amazing February trailer. Watch it. He is doing a lot of work, as always. Mr. Daniel Ott will be rejoining us. He is on location right now, and we take our hats off to him. He is doing what we all should be doing, making movies. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com and check out everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. We're on the socials. You can get tickets on Eventbrite if you're in the Southern California area. Tonight, we will be showing the Almodovar movie. So come and join us on thirty-five. So you can watch them before you listen to the podcast. All right, guys, have a great week. Bye, citizens.
0: Happy Valentine's Day. Ah, oh, God, come on. I love you, family. Love you,
2: Martha. Love you, crazy Love you, Carmen. Love you, Penny. You guys are my valentines. This, this thing is awesome. Five seconds silence, Edwin. Spare me your voice for five seconds.